0: Everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcast, a top 10 SB Nation College podcast. Uh, this is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. We're on season five, episode 23. I am your host, Sam Snelling. With me, as always, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you?
1: I'm well. Um, the upside of recent basketball action is uh, I don't have to do complicated seed math. <laughs> <laughs> for uh that trip to ebor that the, the the uh program we talk about is gonna be making in a couple of weeks so uh geez. life is simple now
0: uh I, I don't like the fact that they're doing it in in Florida um like it's just it's a little weird uh I like I like it at Bridgestone. even so uh anyone I I don't even remember if we talked about it or not um you know but when it was in St Louis, uh, Matt actually came in, uh, to St. Louis and, and we hung out and watched some, some basketball and it was, a uh, it was nice, but it was still kind of weird that the SEC tournament was in St. Louis. Like, I feel like it should just always be in Nashville.
1: See, which is weird. Cause I liked it when it was in Atlanta. I, I have the times I've covered it, it was in Atlanta and in Nashville, but I don't know. I, I liked it in Atlanta. Um, I don't think they'd ever do it at, like the Mercedes Benz stadium uh again maybe they would maybe they wouldn't but atlanta was nice i would have liked to have done it in new orleans uh because they've moved it there before um i don't know i kind of like if you if you if you bounce it around every so often um but they've chosen nashville which makes sense uh plenty of alcohol within walking distance uh of bridgestone and um yeah you know if you can uh withstand the hordes of uh bachelorette instead are roaming around there um it's a you can get into some good restaurants so it's it's not a bad city but no I, i'm i would i would
0: actually encourage people to skip uh hanging out on on broadway which is the, the street yeah. in nashville right yeah yeah uh and if you if you make your way to either east nashville yeah or just a little bit north of downtown um there are some fantastic restaurants some great breweries um it's really it's it's an underrated food city. Uh it's just I think probably underrated maybe is the wrong term so I'm, I'm sure it's properly rated but uh I think just Nashville kind of just gets that that vibe of everybody kind of goes there for the the honky tonks and and hanging out on Broadway and I I think some of those uh other uh amenities are kind of overlooked.
1: Yep, yep. Very very much so. Um but again if they put it... Her- they're going to
0: be in Tampa and we're like so this is a Missouri basketball podcast. As you can tell, Matt and I are just champing at the bit <laughs> to talk about this last week of Missouri basketball. Um, but uh, you know that I, I spent, uh, what was that, like two, two and a half years of my life in, uh, in the lovely Tampa Bay area. Um, so yeah, they're heading down to, to, to mild stomping grounds, and they're, they're, they're going to play some SEC conference Action tournament action down in uh in and around Tampa. Do you, is it in Saint Peter? Or is it in Tampa?
1: I think it's Saint Pete is what they're saying. To me, it's all one hmm. big, it's all one big metroplex just around a, a bay, so it's it's all one. And not- well, the the downtown Saint Petersburg is,
0: uh, a good like twenty five thirty minutes from downtown Tampa. Across a very long bridge. Yeah. I'm, so anybody that doesn't know their their Tampa Bay area geography, um, I'm I'm here to lay it out. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah so I've only done County. Yeah, I've only done the Tampa. <laughs> I've only done the Tampa side, and that was for work. So I. It's not like I. It was bull practices, hotel, maybe dinner, and then. Uh. So it was not exactly like a a fun it was a bull week and i got to do a little bit of stuff but it wasn't like a major uh it wasn't like a tr- a true vacation whatsoever so i've
0: yeah it do, it does say tampa it doesn't uh-huh. say st petersburg so i don't know somebody listening probably knows hopefully nobody is um if they're fact checking us on in, this in missouri's having a long trip to uh to florida but
1: i mean they're going to be there at least one day. They're going to be there on Wednesday. Early. They're going to get there a day early. They're early check-in in Tampa. Um, but no, Uh, last last week pretty much sealed that Missouri was not going to get out of the Wednesday uh, game. So, another year, another Wednesday. Um, and this time it's a, another meeting probably with Ole Miss, assuming that... Um, Neither Missouri or Ole Miss sweeps this week and makes a push to the 11 seed, but it's looking like Mizzou Ole Miss round three in the 12 13 game. I think uh, next Wednesday. So it looks like they are playing at the uh, Amalie Arena. Yep, home of the home of them Bolts, the Tampa Bay Lightning.
0: Tampa Bay Lightning, which I've been in that building. I went and uh, and saw the St. Louis Blues take on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Oh, back in, like, 2000, maybe 2001, something like that.
1: Was it still, like, the Sun Dome or something back then?
0: I don't remember. But. Nobody nobody ever went to Lightning Games back then, so, like, we walked up and got, like, third-row seats for, like, dirt cheap.
1: <laughs> now the, now the, they've got some Stanley Cups. But, yeah. but Sam we we got to talk about the, the 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 actual reason people still download this podcast, still slog through the uh, emotional wreckage with us and that's that's what happened on it, It's
0: you mean it's not for our, win- our witty banter?
1: That that presumes it's witty. I mean
0: that. <laughs> uh yeah. So last week um we had kind of review uh, reviewed the the you know rough go that Missouri had against Arkansas, and uh, and two straight losses to the Mississippi State Bulldogs, um, and we pretty much said that uh, they they really needed to get a win that week, and they didn't. And now they uh, because it got really really difficult um, going up against uh, Tennessee and LSU um LSU they at least in, in you know admittedly I put in study holiday like I did not watch the entire game I watched about two-thirds of it That was probably um, sufficient. I think once it <laughs> well so um my wife had a a friend in town and you know we went out to dinner um on Saturday and had a re- really nice meal uh and I woke up on on Sunday and, and put the game on and And yeah, like once they get down 20, like you pretty much like, you know, the script at this point, like they, this is the team that they've been now for a while. And um, like, yeah, they, they, if they can keep it close, like they, they kind of have a shot. If they don't keep it close, it gets away from in a hurry. Um, And it it really happened in both games. Like, you know, they came out with a pretty good game plan against Tennessee and, you know, Tennessee has an elite defense. And so all of a sudden... Like they struggled to score, and uh missouri's non elite defense uh started giving up points and next thing you know it's like a fifteen point lead and and the game's over and same thing with l s u uh so like uh, now that we've seen you know twenty nine games of this team and roughly what like you know seven ish games were were <laughs> were a stretch run against uh, high major opponents where they looked mostly competent. Um, and the rest has just been awful. So,
1: yeah, it's, you know, they, uh, there's a rhythm to it. Now they look good. The first five minutes, they get to that first media timeout. Maybe they get through one sub pattern. They've, they've put Amari and Ronnie out there, but after you get past the first media timeout, maybe the first time they take Kobe off the floor, things start to slip a little bit. The offense gets boggy the defense makes its first adjustments you know to what they've seen missouri run out and tennessee they got tennessee got separation um mostly when kobe was sitting with two fouls um you know it was less the case against lsu lsu was committed to matching missouri turnover turnover and in the first half but once lsu valued the ball made some offensive tweaks to go away from ball screens that were putting Xavier Pence in some traps and they started really, really getting guys like Darius Days and, you know, some of their bigger wings and good mismatches. They just ate Missouri alive. They ripped off a 15-0 run and it was done. Like there's there's not you know, those teams once they kind of find the right tweaks, they just dispatch this team with pretty good ease and Missouri can't, you know, going back to really the back Five or six minutes of the Ole Miss game, they've just not been able to get anything out of their half-court offense. It's, it really is. Maybe hope for some jumpers. Maybe hope you get the occasional hit the occasional cutter. But this team has to score in transition or off a secondary break. They've they've just not been able to get anything out of the half-court. Um, and LSU was set up. Tennessee had enough. You no, know, solid defensive. Players to really make things light, make life difficult in the half court. Even if they weren't forcing turnovers, they were forcing just the kinds of shots that Missouri doesn't want to take. LSU, completely different, set up to just absolutely punish MU for its lackluster ball handling, just absolutely bled Missouri drive possessions. So it's, there's just nothing that this offense can do competently against a set defense, whether it's a press, whether it's a gapping man scheme, to generate offense right now. And That's, that's, you know, I think they're down to like 0.9 points per possession over the last seven. They're just, they're dead in the water if they can't score, you know, and flatten the defense out early. And, you know, the defense has been worse than it has been all year and it wasn't great before. So the, the formula here has, hasn't gotten any better and you know this week is the softest ending they're going to get, but you know, they needed something to happen. Maybe get two wins in this five-game stretch to give some cause for hope, and it just hasn't happened. They've just been leveled in every game, but the Mississippi State game at home, and they let that game slip away in the final minute. So it, there's it's, there's just not a lot to take out of this stretch. That's that's really affirming or or uplifting or positive um, at this point.
0: So one of the things that I I did today, because you know I, I sort of made the the point in study hall where um you know where i looked at the number of games that you know missouri has had a like 40 percent or worse um effective field goal percentage um you know i thought it was it you know study hall for the most part does tend to focus you know because defense is one of those things where it's sort of difficult to you know to measure in stats. Uh, I mean, you can a little bit. Um, you know, but but figuring out um, you know how often and really like and not just in Conzo's time here, but kind of going back to you know Kim Anderson and uh, and really kind of coming off, you know, really two pretty good offensive uh, eras with uh, with Mike Anderson and uh, and Frank Hayes. Um, you know, even some of those, you know, that, that last Frank Hafe team, you know, it's almost like we, I guess, took for granted the fact that there were, you know, there's a future NBA (laughs) guy who's, who's been in the NBA since then and sixth man of the year and Jordan Clarkson and Jabari Brown, who was probably a better college player than Jordan was, uh, a college player. Uh, and then, you know, a, a a freshman who would go on to, you know, be a a fixture and a, you know, uh. NCAA final four level team at Gonzaga and, um, you know, and Jonathan Williams. And, and so like, once we pivoted out of that and you got, you got into the commander scenario and like, you know, the offense just turned into a slog and, you know, Conzo, uh, you know, I think came in, in that first year and, and, and sort of took the pieces, um, you know that he was given, which you know, like you know Jordan Barnett and Kevin Perrier, guys like that, uh, and he was able to sort of you know figure out a way to have an effective uh, offense. Um, you know, but where he's always sort of made, I guess, his money as a, as a coach is is on the defensive side, and the the I think that the most disappointing thing for me. Uh, you know, throughout really the, you know, the conzo Martin era is the fact that like he's never really gotten the defense. Right. They've been pretty good sometimes. Um, and so what I did is I went back and I, I looked at uh, effective field goal percentage um, under 50%. And just to see uh, like what his record was in those games and how many times uh and it's it's kind of depressing, Matt. So let's talk about it. Um so at Missouri State, uh he had thirteen, twenty-two, and nineteen games um where his defense was uh holding opponents to a fifty percent effective field goal percentage or worse. Um in Tennessee 24 times, 21 times, 26 times. Um at Cal, 21 times, 27 times, 25 times. And then at Missouri, 20 times, 14 times, 19 times, 13, and 10. So last la so last year, um, in a normal season, you probably could have given them a couple more uh because you know, it was a little bit of a shortened season. Uh, they played 26 games. On average, you're going to play a little bit more than 30. Uh, they were, and they were getting about half of their games uh, at that defensive point. So, um, but yeah. So after basically being in like the mid 20s, um, you know, uh, three quarters of their games for six years with Tennessee and Cal. Uh his first year they they hit 20. Um they were 14 and 6 in those games. The next year they were 12 and 2 in the 14 times he did it. 19 uh in 2020, they were 14 and 5. So you can see where this is kind of going. Like he wins a lot when he when his teams defend well. And this team, uh, (laughs) they've only had 10 games of that, and they're just six and four, which is not a great win percentage. No, I mean... So, the, the the bigger thing for me is, like, as much as we like to complain about the offense, like, Konzo has never been able to get the kinds of defenses that he's built in the past built at Missouri. And I really feel, like, that's the one thing that I thought this team was going to be able to do. And they're just, like, they're bad defensively.
1: Yeah, you the numbers you cited, they, they, the number of games... These are the total games that they've had with um, the effective field goal percentage under fifty. At Missouri State it was fifty-four games in three seasons, so eighteen a year. Um, Seventy-one and seventy-three at Cal and Tennessee, respect at Tennessee and Cal. Yeah, so again, probably around twenty-two or twenty-three, um, and then seventy-six in five years here. So you're basically seeing five to six games of slippage for this you know, off of what Zoe's done this year. It's, I'm looking at the raw efficiency ratings right now and and I don't include you know, the game against Ball Quinn in my calculations. So just against D one teams this year, the offensive rating, it, the defensive rating is 105.7, basically 106 points per 100 possessions. That's, that's not good. Um, that, that is, that is very, very bad. Um, usually Zoe's teams have kind of been in the mid to upper nineties in terms of raw efficiency. So this is probably on a raw on a raw basis one of his worst, if not his the worst defensive team he's ever fielded. And over the last six games, I think they're at a hundred and over the last seven games, this closing stretch since they've been at Vandy, they're giving up um 108.4 points per 100 possessions. They're just a sieve defensively. And <laughs> You know, I think that's that's the one area, of the floor, again, where it, it helps to be talented. It helps to have athleticism and all the physical traits you need there. But to me, guarding is as much a mentality, as much of an effort thing as it is just a raw ability thing. And they just have not been able to guard consistently whatsoever. There are stretches where guys play or games where guys will guard pretty well. But as a team and as a collective, they just—they don't do a good job. There, there are late rotations. There are guys who give up driving angles easily. There are guys who don't close out hard enough. That sometimes there are guys who just miss out close, miss closeout duties altogether. It's just there's not the level of engagement that we're used to seeing, you know, from good defensive teams. The team hasn't had it all a year, and I just don't know what you really conclude from that other than that this team is you know to me that's the biggest sort of indicator that this team has checked out is that the defensive numbers have just gotten so much worse, you know, down the stretch. I mean the offense, you know, was sort of just gimping along, but the defensive numbers, you know, cratering the way they have, you know, against Mississippi State, not an elite offense. Against Tennessee, not an elite offense. You know, prone to long stretches where it can't score. LSU, a team that, you know, has definitely had issues playing in the half court this year offensively. You know, the fact that it's those teams that are doing it to Missouri is, is, is sort of an indictment there. And, you know, you never want to accuse a team of quitting, but this team just looks mentally, not mentally, but they just look when you watch them, like as soon as that first run comes, they, there's just a slump there. and, Things go downhill quickly, and it, particularly the defensive end, they just become a leaky boat. It's there's not really anything at this point, schematically or you know, personnel wise, I can say other than it's just not getting the job done, and that's probably the biggest indictment I think of, of what's happened this year. You know, I think that was always sort of the case with Zoe Was you know maybe the offense won't be great, maybe it'll always be a little bit rickety, but the man gets his guys to defend, and that just has not happened all year. It, you know, the offense found a, a little bit of competency, but the defense has just been, you know, poor all year. And the fact that it hasn't gotten any better to me has sort of been the biggest indicator of of where this has been headed. Is that they just haven't found a solution on that end of the floor?
0: Yeah, I mean, realistically, if if they had just found a way to be um, average, like worse, then the worst team that he's had at Missouri, you know, not even that good, like 85th instead of (laughs) 139th, you know, they're probably like in and around, um, you know, the 100 range uh, and, and Ken Palm. And realistically, like if, if, if you're that good on uh, if that much better on defense, not that good, but that much better, and you're probably pulling out a few more wins and games that, uh you know that you lost close you're you're winning close and uh and instead of being 10 and 19 maybe you're uh you know 13 and 16 or 14 and and 15 or something like that and and uh, and if if he's at that point then I don't think we're we're having the kind of kinds of conversations that we're having um you know like Missouri, uh, we just published at Rockham nation um earlier today uh, as always we're recording this on monday Uh, February 28th. Um, You will hear this on Tuesday, uh, March 1st. The poll will still be alive. Um, But an SBN uh, Reacts post where we're basically asking, you know, whether or not fans think Konzo deserves another year. Um, I think that there are not going to be a lot of people that are still Konzo supporters at this point on whether or not he should get more time. And considering where we were last year, um, you know, coming off the Commanderson era, two incidents days and, and four years, granted. Both those were early uh, early exits and and not anything that you were super excited about, but you know, it was still respectable um to kind of go from that to you know essentially being you know a a year of watching commanderson light. And I just like I, I think that he could have withstood a lot. Uh, and, and and gotten a six a year. But I just don't think that what has happened this year and the way that things have transpired, that there's any sort of realistic way that the administration can consider bringing him back.
1: I would say, yeah. Like, that I never want to be someone who's, you know, firing a silver bullet and saying, you know, fire a guy. It's just how I think it's hard to make, I think I said this before we recorded, an affirmative case like a logical evidence-based case for giving, you know, this another year. Um, you know, I wrote about it a lot last week and just, you know, sort of laid out the history of it. It's a one in four shot, maybe of a team like Missouri coming back and making a postseason bid the next year. Um, a couple teams are probably going to do it this year, like TCU and Iowa state. Um, maybe Miami, there's going to be some teams that I think, um, bounce back and and did some good work in the portal, but I don't think it's going to be dramatically more than what we've seen in the past. So I think if people are making the argument, well, they could always go in the portal the first year, obviously it's the first year we've had the one year exemption and, and a large number of people go in the portal, but, it's not dramatically changing the numbers that we're seeing as in terms of teams rebounding. So and realistically it's usually just maybe one to two teams that get to the NCAA tournament next year. So you're basically hoping that out of the 14 or 15 teams that are like you that finished below 100th in Kim Palm, that you're going to be the exception. And you know, I think that that's not, You know, you can make the decision and say, okay, we, you know, we heard a plan. We want to do it. But I think rationally you look at it and go, what are the odds of success here? Um, you know, I don't think the money is going to be all that different in terms of what you're going to be paying now versus later. It's just a question of how liquid is the athletic department, how liquid are donors. Um, all indications are that the money won't be an issue. So if you can afford to do it now and, you know, give a new staff a chance to come in here and use next season as a chance to lay its foundation. You know, I, I think next year's going to, you know, There's the odds are high that it's going to be another poor record next year, but it's what is that poor record in service of? Is it in service of giving a new staff the time to put its foundation in place, or is it in service of, you know, you know, thin hopes that a guy's going to be able to resuscitate a program that that's in a pretty bad way at this point. And so I think that's just, if you're making the argument for staying the course, there's nothing you can really point to that, that really makes that pretty strong. And so I, you know, I, we like Konzo Martin, you know, we like the way he represents the program. We, we, it's obvious type of person he is and type of character he has but that's all additive to the you know the deliverable of winning basketball games and if he's not going to be able to give you that fundamental product everything else is sort of irrelevant at that point so I just don't see barring a major run in St. Pete where they get the auto bid and there's there's just nothing that you look at and say, okay, there's an achievable goal here. That's going to give us enough to hang enough meat to hang on this, that we can bring it back. So, um, I don't want to be the one pushing a coach out the door, but I also don't want to be someone who's saying there's a world in which this could happen. I being very, very sober about it. It's the odds of success are very short and, The logical decision would be to just give somebody else a a different hand, a different, you know, shot at at doing the job and seeing what sort of comes next from from there.
0: Which is kind of interesting, you know, as as somebody who, you know, wrote his way through the Commanderson era. I mean, we all knew after year two that it. I mean, we all knew pretty quickly uh, year one that uh even before they played a game some of us had had inclinations that this was a bad decision um but i mean in large part it was a consensus that you know at some point during anderson's second year that he was basically just a dead man walking it was just a matter of when uh mac rhodes was the ad at the time and he basically made the decision that he didn't want to be the guy who was gonna you know hire the next basketball coach cuz he knew he was you know basically walking out the door and so he left that to the next AD um, and the next AD you know was Jim Stirk Jim Stirk knew pretty quickly uh like you I'm not going to you know take this job in August and fire the head basketball coach um but uh like he knew that he was going to have to to find a new coach and and so we were all kind of writing the, uh, you know, the, how things were going to go in December. You know, and I think by that point, that Missouri team had lost, if I remember correctly, um, to Lipscomb, to Eastern Illinois, uh, and then there was one other. The
1: Eastern Illinois
0: game uh, was probably
1: the, the clincher,
0: if I. Um, North Carolina Central. That's what it was. They lost to uh, to North Carolina Central, who actually ended up being decent <laughs> that year. <laughs> yeah, that was that but was a, that it was a also me- wasn't a close game either. Like no, they won no. by ten. Um, but yeah, Eastern Illinois and, and Lipscomb was sort just sort of like, you know, and then a bad LSU team came in and just sort of handled them. And like everybody, everybody knew, and, and so we were just gonna. It was playing out the string. It was us talking about the job in abstract. Um, you know, and this is, this is a different situation because I don't, I don't think at any point leading into the season, like Desiree Reed Francois was planning on making a move. Um, I don't, you know, I think all season long, she's probably been looking for reasons to, to make it work with Conzo. And realistically, like up until recently, like there is still a pretty good case. Like, you know, after coming off the, uh, the sweep of Ole Miss, um, you know, Missouri was four and seven and, uh, had, you know, been close enough in some other games. You're like, all right, like I can kind of see, you know, some, some f- formed reasons why, you know, they could make a case for year six. Um, you know, but then Arkansas comes in and that's, that's your regional rival. Like, when you talk about, as a program, who are you competing against? Um, you're competing against Arkansas. You're competing against Kansas and Illinois. Um, like, these are your the regional high majors, and what are they doing? Uh, and they're all, like, throttling you. And, I, you know, if if they'd have shown up in that Arkansas game and made it a contest and and, you know, and lost by six, and it's a, it's a different comp uh, conversation, I think, but they didn't. And then they got trounced at Mississippi state, you know, that lost nearly against MSU at home, lost badly against Tennessee at home. And again, uh, got trounced in, in Baton Rouge. It, it got to the point where it doesn't matter what they do at South Carolina. It doesn't matter what they do, uh, at home against Georgia. Um,
1: doesn't even matter what they do they're, next Wednesday. They're not
0: getting the auto bid. You know, like <laughs> I don't think any, any team has ever uh come out of the verse four in that uh SEC tournament and won the SEC overall. That's well, just too many games, too many days. Um yeah. you it, usually see teams that that had to play on Wednesday. Uh if they are able to win on Thursday, they are gassed on Friday. Yeah, they're dead. And 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 they have nothing. So that's, I mean, that's why, like, you want to get out of that that Wednesday game is like, at least then you have a shot. You don't have a shot if you're if you're playing on Wednesday.
1: No, and realistically, I, you know, KB Armand of Power Mizzou, you know, asked Desiree Francois for a comment last week. I was told there's going to be a decision made after the season. That's the usual sort of lingo that's given here, um, but. I can't imagine that there's much more data that you would need to see before you make up your mind here. I I think that, you know, we've always said that it was never going to be one game that decided it was going to be the body of work here, but I don't see how playing South Carolina, Georgia, and Ole Miss, you know, are going to be data points that carry a lot of weight, you know, in, in, you know, in the overall formula that gets used here. Um, it's It's gonna be just the sheer number of of losses that have come by fifteen points or more, just the number of games where they've looked uncompetitive, um especially in rivalry games. it's gonna I think come down to you know what you think roster retention is gonna look like i I think there's very good reason to think you're gonna see maybe three or four more slots open up and you know you're gonna be an a d who's looking at a coach and saying, you know what's the plan here you know we're we're uncompetitive regionally you know maybe some assets that we've are hopeful about on the roster you know some are gone um you know maybe if we're going to keep you it's going to require us to radically re-envision a staff and and you know just the number of things that have to come off correctly here are just too numerous. It's gonna be like what we watch in games now where Missouri needs absolutely everything to go perfectly to have a shot at getting a win. You're you're essentially doing that with this coach and this staff and this roster. And I just don't think that there's a lot left to really, you know, sway the case one way or the other. I think what you're doing now is, you know, you're preparing yourself and, you know, for whatever decision's gonna come down the pike. And if you're keeping them I'll be I'll be really interested in what the stated rationale is. I'll be really curious as to what what um conditions are in place for that. Because I just don't think, again, you can look at this objectively and think it's gonna be something that's turned really, really easily. So if they're keeping them, that'll be more interesting than if they make a move. I think, you know, whenever that news comes down, if they if they are moving on. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people who are really um, shocked at, you know, how quickly sort of the vetting and the search process begins here. Um, You know, that all that kind of stuff could have started happening and those wheels could have started turning a while ago here, honestly, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think you could have really started ramping that up. So, um, (laughs) but there are two games this week. We're going to watch them and, and, you know, see what, see what the results are, but I I don't think um, there's going to be a lot of weight, Placed on on what happens on the floor at this point.
0: Yeah, it, it you get to the point where, you know, like we've long talked about, not being any one result is gonna you know be a thumbs up or thumbs down kind of moment. Um, you know, but regardless what happens this week, like the body of work is set, and you know, again, like I I I really do believe that. Um, you know, if if the uh, you know efficiency switch that they've sort of found in that that middle stretch had held, um, you know, like he's probably coming back. But like once the rope started to slip again, um, you know, there's just there's not a lot you can do, and 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 I actually like on my uh, on the city Outlook post, I actually quoted you know, Zoe and, um, and his last presser when he's like, you know, good win for LSU. Uh, any questions? And it's like, and I, i kind of feel like you can sense, um, you know, like a little bit of, uh, exhaustion from him of just, you know, uh, as a guy who, you know, and, Consul uh, Gonzo Martin has a, a pretty good life these days. Right. I mean, he's, he's, made a lot of money coaching basketball. He's, uh, he's survived cancer. He's got a great family. Um, <laughs> he's sitting on and hopefully, uh, sitting on, um, you know, millions of dollars. Um, he's about to get six or so, uh, more million dollars more, um, from Missouri to, to not coach. Um, so, you know, I, I, I want to say that like the, uh, the you know the sympathy or, or empathy whichever you would prefer to kind of have in this moment uh, only extends to a a, a certain degree um, because like he's doing fine and he's paid to coach a game and a lot of these coaches get into this business they understand that if you don't do a good job uh, like you're you're going to get fired and but at the same time like I mean he's also a guy who's competitive and he's just like he. He just picked the wrong guys. And, you know, like, I will, uh, I will be happy, happy to, to go through and, and, and do film breakdown with anybody who thinks, like, he's not a good basketball coach. Um, Zoe's, you know, flaw in his Achilles heel has been how he's put together these rosters, the players that he signed, and the guys that are just not good enough. Um, to to carry the amount of weight that they're being asked to carry. uh, You know, like I, I m- mentioned, like Javon Pickett is going down swinging and, you know, God love him. But like, why is Missouri relying on Javon Pickett to break down defenders late in shot clocks? Well, it's because they don't have anybody else. They don't have anybody else in the roster who can do it. and And he can't do it either, but he's at least willing to try. And, uh, you know, like, I think that really kind of speaks to, like, what Zoe has done um, from the beginning in a lot of his questionable decision making when it comes to adding players. Whether that's, uh, you know, his assistants uh, bringing guys to him or him making, you know, uh, a call to, to go after a guy, whatever. They, they haven't gotten the players to, to elevate Missouri basketball. And now we're at a point where it's not far off, uh, like where where it was in, in Kim's last year.
1: Yeah, the before the year, my, you know, people will say, you know, we could see this coming, and you know, and it was obvious that this was going to happen, and you know, I I don't think any of us thought that this team was going to be great. I didn't think they were gonna be a team that was gonna surprise people and push to like the seventh or eighth spot. I thought they'd be slightly better than they are offensively, but I'm not shocked that this is what the offense looks like. Um, but as we've said, the defense has just been so so porous. Um they haven't been able to find anybody that I would cons I would say is a consistent, you know, reliable defensive player for them. They don't have you know, the kind of, you know, the brief here was probably to, if you were going to take losses, at least be able to go into your meeting with, you know, the AD and say, Hey, um, we, we got competitive as the year went on, but I know there are four or five guys that I can, I can rely on here and we're going to go into the portal and we're going to find a couple more and we're going to add them to what we're going to have with Aiden coming in and we're going to, and we're going to get this team moving, you know, back towards the bubble next year there's you know i thought you put it in straight hall there's there's not anybody outside maybe true in brazil that i think is untouchable on this roster that even expen- extends to kobe brown i don't think there's anybody on this roster that i look at at least that's part of the core right now of the vast think that that's a must return next year that's a really really awful place to be in year five you know, is to look it up and down the roster and go, man, there's, there's not a lot of, like, pieces here that I think right now I, I want to go forward with. And, you know, I think the other thing that you look at is this team's supposedly playing with eight guys. And they're down numbers, but they were already at eight guys before, you know, the injury label was affixed to Anton Brookshire, before Yaya Akeda. Hurt his knee. Yaya was only playing maybe 10 to 12 possessions a night. Yaya wasn't logging heavy minutes. He was playing late in the first half to really, late in halves to really let Ryan DeCray rest a little bit. Um, Jordan Wilmore like, had a 7-8 game DMP streak going before he was shut down. Like the, the guys who are sitting right now were not playing extensive minutes, were not in heavy roles. The eight guys that are playing right now, were the eight guys that were still key pieces of the rotation before did playing five games in 10 days or 11 days help? No, it, it didn't. But functionally within the flow of games, you know, the rotation is what it is and it has really kind of stayed the same. They're just not tossing Anton Brookshire and yeah, I it in for spot minutes every so often. So realistically we've seen what, a rotation for this team looks like for 29 games and you know drum brazil's a guy i'd keep but there's still a lot of work to do there on the defensive end of the floor and as a as a dribbler and as a you know a legit threat off the catch like and you're buying physical tools
0: there. Yeah, you're you're buying upside on on Brazil. Like we we can all watch Trevin play and see, oh, like he wows, like, oh, the you know, the the lobs and the blocks, and it's all exciting. He's a terrible on ball defender. Uh his offensive skill set is still very limited. Uh he shoots the ball decently enough. Um but he yeah, I mean he's he's a project. He's a guy that that can be an NBA player because of all of those things we just talked about. But I mean realistically if you're talking about like impact to the team this year his has been pretty low. Uh he's he's wowed us with with some plays here and there but he's he's not he's not driving the bus. Um I mean I I think you could probably make an argument that it would make more sense for him to drive the bus a little bit more uh and to and to you know instead of playing 20 minutes to play, you know 25 to 28 minutes um you know but if it's one of those things, like there isn't anybody on on this roster, and I do think that that includes Trevin. Trevin has the highest upside. But if they left, I mean, you can get the kind of production that you would need at that spot elsewhere. And I'm not saying like I want Trevin to go. like whoever uh, is coaching Missouri next year, I hope trevin brazil is is on the roster for that for that person. Um, but I don't like. If if you're coming in like I'm not thinking about like how is Missouri going to be good next year I'm I'm trying to figure out how Missouri is going to get out of being one of the four worst programs in the SEC on a pretty annual basis Yeah, and you need to find the co- the coach that is going to get you from where Missouri is and and get you into like the top seven consistently. And that that guy like is not going to be Trevin Brazil. That's going to be the next coach you hire.
1: Yeah, and so I think that that's sort of where we'll we don't want to run guys off, and and you know, but I guess if a coach comes in and looks at this roster, I would say nothing is off the table here. Um, at this point, I, and some people might be shocked and say Kobe's produced. I, I have my questions. I've always had questions sort of about Kobe as a, as a fulcrum for this team. Um, but I think against good teams, against traditional length, against more athletic kind of matchups you see, you know, where there's some deficiencies there. And as a guy who can drive the bus for this team and, you know, I just think as you move forward, you have to, as you said, just sort of set everything else aside and and just look at what's next year going to bring, who can come in here potentially and, 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 and set the table appropriately. Um, I think Conzo Martin and you know, the Porter plan there were merits to it. It didn't work out. Um, But we'll see what the next guy has his term in terms of a sustainable approach and and roster building, you know, if, and when that decision comes, but there's nothing I look at right now as far as this roster and think, Yeah. These three or four guys are untouchable. I think everything's got to be on the table.
0: So, um, I think what we're going to do is uh, probably wrap this up um, because we're probably gonna have to talk about all of this stuff next week anyway. <laughs> um, so essentially like Missouri is going to play at South Carolina. Uh, they're going to have a home game uh, against Georgia on Saturday. Um, and that's the end of the uh, the regular season. Then the following Wednesday, they'll, uh, they'll play in in the opening round of the SEC tournament. Um, are we, they're matched up against Ole Miss right now?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I believe they're. What, are they thirteenth or? Uh, no, they. I think they'd be the twelfth because when they have the tiebreaker head to head over the Rebs, two zero.
0: Oh yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so Vandy is currently six and ten.
1: Uh, they have to go. Ole Miss and is four
0: and twelve. Missouri four and twelve, and Missouri has the head head uh, sweep
1: of the Rebels. Um. And right now, um, I think they would get Alabama if they won that game. So hey, get, nothing like beat Ole Miss, get Alabama for a third time on a neutral floor. So, um, not a lot of dynamic change there. Coming next week. Um, no, this is you're in the point now where everything's going to be repetitive. All the points we make are going to be um same-ish It's you're, you're just waiting, and you know we'll move forward and and see you know what sort of topics come up. You know, in that uh, in a coaching search, th- those are familiar. Um, there are names thrown around. There are, are approaches debated right now um we're just in a holding pattern and uh we'll see like i said the the surprising news would be to me is if they announce a return but um we don't write the future here so we'll we'll wait and see what happens and uh, we'll react when it does uh so
0: that means that uh we're done here um make sure that you are subscribed to this here podcast if you are subscribed you will get all these be right down to your phone uh, and you will also get the always excellent podcast of uh, before the box score with Nate Edwards and Brandon B.K. Kylie. Um, they're doing a good job. It just uh, had a podcast up on the the spring football stuff, and uh, I, I thought that was enjoyable. Nate got the old uh, the old boss on the horn and talked to Bill Connolly. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I would encourage it. It's always good to hear from Bill. Um, Matt, I think you would actually like it because uh, uh, like yourself um bill sounded a little bit like he's a little bit of a, a drink with skeptic um so uh maybe not not quite buying the snake oil yet um we, as as always we're we're the the wait and see um like the recruiting wins are great but let's win back let's win basketball games let's win football games let's let's get the pride back missouri um So we'll be back next week to talk about uh, a little bit about the South Carolina and Georgia games, probably uh, better vibes than we've had the last couple weeks since um, neither of those teams plays defense to the level uh, that um, (laughs) Tennessee or LSU uh, do. So hopefully Missouri can at least score some points and make us feel a little bit better about this. Uh, But I still think we all know where this is heading. Uh, So we'll be back next week talk about it and until then thank you all for tuning in